Hello and welcome, and this is Cindy Meyer, and this is the weekly Spirit Seeker Hour, brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. You can read Spirit Seeker each month at www.spiritseeker.com or spiritseekermagazine.com. We have been published for almost 20 years now, and we, um, in addition to the monthly magazine, we have a weekly email newsletter, and we have the weekly radio show. Um, in addition, we do sponsor different speakers who uh, come throughout the Midwest, and we also sponsor probably 20 uh, different conferences throughout the U.S. each and every year. Sometimes it's more. We do as much as we can, uh, sponsoring the Bhakti Fest, Amachis workshops, um, all kinds of the mind, body, uh, mind, body, spirit conferences throughout the U.S. So, in order to find out about these fabulous events, uh, I would highly encourage you to send us an email to info info at spiritseeker.com, asking to be added to our email list, and then you will get the um, notification about these different events when the magazine is online and who the radio show guests are. In addition, we also do uh, periodic uh, drawings for books, CDs, DVDs. It's um, it's it's a wonderful thing. We review all of these fabulous. Um, you know, uh, releases from musicians, um, anything from meditation CDs to, you know, just it's such a wide genre. And then DVDs, yoga DVDs, um, and the books. And, you know, we just bless, each, you know, other people too. So once you're part of our email list, uh, you have that opportunity. Okay, so just two more uh, announcements, and then I'm going to bring our guest on. Um, the first full moon meditation will be happening this Thursday in St. Louis. That is something that I have offered for over, um, I think it's almost 15 years now. And this is a pretty fabulous full moon in that it's the full moon in Cancer, the sun sign in Capricorn, which is a great way to start off the, the new year. But in addition, we just had all, we're having all kinds of planets that have been retrograde for the last almost year, many of them have been retrograde for several months, but as we, as you know, some planets are even slower. So everything's going direct in the next uh, couple of weeks. And so it's a really good time to not only set your New Year's intentions, but to create a new vision for your life. Um, okay, so that's this, this week. And then I will be offering the annual Goddess Gathering and Vision Board using Feng Shui Principles in Chicago in February and in St. Louis on January 28th. If you want any information on any of these, just send me an email to info at spiritseeker.com or call the Spirit Seeker office 636-530-7579. Happy New Year, and now we are going right into our show. I am very excited to be interviewing Tom Moore tonight. Uh, we have published many of his articles over the years, and you know he's just been on my radar, and I uh, respect and honor his work. He's an award-winning author, speaker, and uh, has worked in the uh, entertainment industry. He uh, has many gifts, as you can hear. Um, he has won, uh, won the Author of the Year for his series of books, The Gentle Way, and he is known as the, uh, the he was voted the best self-help author. Um, he when I when I talked about the industry, the entertainment industry, um, he works with motion pictures and TV programs internationally. He is an expert on so many topics. We can talk about angels extraterrestrials, but tonight we're going to primarily focus on, and then we have, if we have time, we'll talk about the other things, on his most recent book, um, uh, Atlantis and Lemuria, The Lost Continents Revealed. So I, I you know, I'm just going to bring Tom on. Tom, and let me, let me bring you live. I have you on mute. One second. Here we go. Okay, so Tom, are you there? I am here. Can you hear me? Okay. All right. Yes, I can. So, um, good. So let's just hear your story as to how, wherever you want to start. But we will we will definitely go to our the lost uh, civilizations. But you know, you have a this is interesting to be involved with so many different things. So, and I know you do predictions, and so just you start, and then I'll jump in every once in a while. No, oh, well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I. Um, uh, it started way, way back uh, um, for me, if you want to go back how I got on the road, so to speak. Um, yes. I, uh, I, I used to own um, a, uh, a ski club, snow ski club, for single adults, and then it turned into uh, everybody because I, I was having so many people uh, got married. And um, 
Uh, and then it was starting to turn into a, a full-fledged tour business. And one day uh, I read an astrologer. Um, uh, they had a story about an astrologer in the Dallas Morning News, and uh, it, uh, his hobby was the Dallas Cowboys. And he said the Dallas Cowboys are not going to the Super Bowl this year, but they're going to go next year. At that time, back in the late 60s, um, the, uh, uh, the Cowboys had never been to a Super Bowl. And I said, gosh, I've never read anything like that. And he gave several, several different um, uh, reasons why. And uh, so I tore the story out of the newspaper, stuck it in my desk. At the end of the football season, sure enough, he, um, he was correct on about 80% of the reasons. And I said, well, I don't know how this works, but I reserved 300 seats a year in advance down to Miami for the next Super Bowl. And I was the very first tour operator in Dallas to ever run a trip to the Super Bowl. So after that, um, I and of course that allowed me to do a couple of things like uh, uh, start my own travel agency, and which eventually became an international tour company, and um, uh, was able to buy buy a house and things like that, uh, put uh, deposits down, and um, uh, so I started using um, uh, astro- astrological aspects. Uh, to hold all my monthly ski club parties and and uh, which were very very successful, <laughs> more people got married. I was I was doing good work. I knew that. <laughs> A few people yes. got divorced, but that's another story. And um, so uh, uh, so then we jump ahead until about 1979 when when my uh, wife and I were supposed to be going to a World Congress of Travel Agents in Manila. And I had this very a vivid dream. I just started recording my dreams about two weeks before, and I had this very vivid dream of an explosion with a lady and some men involved. It was so vivid and all that we canceled our trip to Manila and added days on to Taiwan and, and Hong Kong because we hadn't been there either. And so sure enough, on the first day of the, uh, of the Congress, uh, terrorists blew up a a bomb in the front of the hall, which is where I like to sit, and uh, injured several travel agents. After that, I said, well, I'm going to record my dreams the rest of my life, and I still do to this, to this day. Um, and, I, and it does, I, I do find that, that the, where you're at when you're waking up and just remembering your dreams, that's like an out, a light alpha state. And eventually, I would find that that worked best in my meditations and my in my um, telepathic uh, messages that I would ask questions and then receive answers. So, lo and behold, in about 2005, um, uh, I, well, uh, back up uh, about 18 or 19 years ago, I read an article in the Sedona Journal of Emergence, and it said. Uh, 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 that you could request benevolent outcomes in your life. And I said, gosh, that's interesting. I think I'll experiment with that because I'd experimented with other modalities like the law of attraction and all, and they didn't work that great. You know, they were hit and miss. And uh, I discovered that that uh, requesting most benevolent outcomes in my life worked perfectly, absolutely perfectly. And so I started writing a couple of articles for the Sedona Journal eventually became a monthly columnist forum uh, where I just send in uh, 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 stories that I receive from all over the world from people that are incorporating requesting benevolent outcomes in their lives. And um, uh, then, uh, lo and behold, in 2005, I, my wife and I attended a Dick Sutphen, S-U-T-P-H-E-N, seminar oh, yeah. in Sedona. Uh, uh, Richard was the guy that coined the phrase uh, vortexes, and and we've always said that uh, the city of Sedona should pay him <laughs> because they get three million visitors a year now. Um, and I during had no the, idea. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's a good guy, and uh, and he, and he lives in Sedona or, or just outside, and so. Um, uh, on one of the day, this was in, increasing your psychic abilities, and I didn't think I'd get anything out because I'd been to seminars before, but my wife, my wife Dina, had not, and so 
I was there to support her. Well, lo and behold, uh, the second day he was uh, each day he was putting us into and out of these altered states to do different things. And on the second day, it was to uh, do automatic writing. I decided I was going to try and contact an Indian shaman that had been channeled for me by the guy that that had written that article. Uh, his name is Robert Shapiro, and he had channeled a being a, a Indian shaman living in the 1600s um, by the name of Reveals the Mysteries. That's his name in English. And uh, but he had when he channeled for me, I said, "Well, is my work to support Robert's work?" You know, since he was the one to write the article and all, and I was told no, and I thought, well, that's strange. What? Am, why not? And so I decided to try and contact Reveals the Mysteries. When he put me under, uh, put us under, I said, Reveals the Mysteries, are you there? And he said, Yes, I am, Tom. And I said, Wow, that's neat. And so I proceeded to ask him uh, about that, and he said that I was an Indian shaman living at the same time period in the 1600s that. Um, my name was Stillwater, and I had decided to incarnate into the 20th and 21st centuries in order to reintroduce people to the gentle way. And I got the name of the, uh, my first book uh, the first time I ever communicated with, with that Indian shaman reveals the mysteries. That's, I mean, you know, when we listen or when we're ready, you know, that old, that old saying, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. But, you know, I think it's yes. also the guides appear. I mean, so much happens when we're ready, open, and willing. Yeah, that's very true. And, and I guarantee if, uh, you know, we'll talk about Atlantis and Lemuria tonight, but if, if uh, the people that listen to this uh, broadcast uh, now or in the days to follow, if, uh, you know, on, on recording or whatever, if you will experiment and start with requesting benevolent outcomes in your lives, I didn't. I, I knew they worked perfectly after I, I started experimenting with it, but I didn't know at the time, and I would find this out later when I started communicating with my own guardian angel, Theo, and Gaia, the soul of the earth, that uh, this simple modality uh, also raises your vibrational level, which some people call ascension. And so it's the most simple things in the world. You you just request benevolent outcomes for a, a parking spot in front of a busy restaurant or mall or whatever. Uh, you know the real simple stuff. Uh, that's that's where you start. But then as you go along and you get you start feeling good about it, you start requesting uh, really important things like the uh, the perfect job for you, uh, the perfect home for you, uh, the perfect uh, mate for you. And uh, and and it works, but, it, but you have to be patient on the on the bigger stuff. <laughs> and Theo says humans are not very patient, so you do have to be patient when you start asking for the big stuff. Well, and that's but you have to start somewhere, you know. And um, yep. I love how you explain the dream state, you know, because you know I can remember as a kid having vivid dreams, and I would wake up. And then say, okay, if I didn't like the dream, I'd say, okay, I'm going back to sleep and I'm changing the channel. I would literally just say, I want to change the channel. I don't want that dream again. And if I went back to sleep state and that dream was there again, and if I did this two times and it happened a third time where I, I, I just knew it was going to happen. And, like, you know, I don't even know how I knew that. But, um, but I always would get a lot of answers in dream state. And so many people right now, it feels to me just from the people who have been like sending in emails and questions and you know just personally they're like wow i'm having these dreams what is going on but i think it's an active time right now um with so many people waking up yes and 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 when i put myself in into a meditative state it's really simple now if if you're having a hard time if you don't meditate already maybe you feel kind of uh Gosh, this is going to be too hard for me. But as an example, uh, Dick Suffin, they can go to DickSuffin.com, uh, and uh, he has a, a CD or an MP3, two, whatever, whatever it is, one of those MPEGs, um, that you can buy very inexpensively. It's called Spirit. Uh, let's see. It's called Spirit. Oh, what's uh, 
I'm getting your uh, Spirit Seeker mixed up with the name. And, it's okay. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up really uh, fast. Okay. But anyway, the um, uh, it's um, uh, it, it, uh, Richard will take take you down and into this alternate state, and then it, it allows you to ask questions, and then he'll bring you back up. And you can use that at, at first uh, to get you started, but uh, eventually, I mean, I, I don't need it. It takes me about five minutes for me to go down and concentrate on my breath and concentrate on my heartbeat, and, and, um, uh, and then send, I send white light to the world as my prayer for the world and, and to the other timelines because there's 12 timelines, 12 parallel worlds, and, um, uh, and, and a, a white light to, uh, to the earth and, and, uh, and the interior of the earth, and then everyone that's tuning in to me. I used not to know that I was having any conversation except with Theo or Gaia, and then one day, lo and behold, it turns out that, that um, not only d- uh, did I have an ET who turns out to be uh, part of my soul group or soul cluster, as Theo calls it, tuning in, and that's, that's how the book uh, Conversations with an ET, uh, First Contact Conversations with an ET came about. Um, his name is Antura, but I found out as I went along and talking to Theo after that, I've got a whole group of people uh, and beings that tune in uh, to, to me when I'm doing these, and, and how they are able to do it, I'm not sure. Um, some, you know, India and other places, and uh, and some beings, and they like to see the questions that I'm asking. Some people want to know the the answers to the questions too, and some of the beings or ETs want to see what people are asking to see how far we are advancing, which is kind of interesting. Well, and you know, I love the name, the Gentle Way. I mm-hmm. I think that that is just beautiful, just beautiful, and. Yes. Um, you know, you you have worked with, uh, you, one of your books is a self-help guide for those who believe in angels, um, mm-hmm. and then you've, you've gone on to working with this contact with this extraterrestrial. I mean, what was that like? I mean, the first time that contact happened, I mean, was it, did, did you sense it, well, feel it, see it, or how, how, well, how was that? Well, Theo introduced me to him. And I, I, it took me a long time to get his name because I'm, I'm very poor on names. I, I just finally got the name of the planet recently, and that's because the, uh, they had contacted the Dogon people in Australia, and they told them, we're the Namo people. And I asked Antura, I said, is that you? And he said, yes. He said, we've been around for several thousand years, and, uh, but, but not him. The, that, he said that was before his time. And... Uh, uh, so, it, it's um, uh, you know, it's I was flabbergasted that anybody was listening to the conversation. But then I said, he said, do you want to talk to him now? And I said, no. Let me think of some questions. And two weeks later, I had a whole page of questions, and that's how everything started. And it and eventually turned into a whole book because not only was I asking questions that I thought of, but people uh, that uh, take my weekly newsletter. We're also sending in questions, and and I would ask their questions. So it just grew, and 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 there are what are called gap questions. You ask a, a question, and and then there's other questions that crop up after that on the same subject. Maybe you'll you'll ask a question. Let's just say in Antura's case, I'll ask a question about the mothership in 2008, and and then maybe in 2000. And nine, I'll ask a couple more questions in 2010, 11, and it goes on up. And, and so when I put the books, uh, the books together, I would put everything into chapters, and then I actually had people that would help me arrange them so that, so that the chapters read decently um, because, you know, I'd be jumping back and forth uh, between questions about the mothership or or uh, about his planet, or the people that lived on, on uh, the planet, and the people that live in, in the Sirius B star system, how many planets there are. And, and it got into things about, it turns out, uh, 
besides being billions of other universes out there, there are three universes that are adjacent to ours, and um, uh, only one of which we can see in the night sky, and we think that's part of our universe. And Antura has been to that universe uh, because he's part of a first contact team, and he said, Tom, he said, uh, you have nothing to compare it with as far as the difference between our universe and theirs, but he said, I can tell you, that universe is really different, and that's the way he described it. So there's, uh, you know, uh, if people read my books, they will read information they have never read in any other book, and that includes on the Atlantis and Lemuria book, uh, which <laughs> we can we can jump into, that there are questions uh, about our whole history of, of our race and everything um, that that no one has ever uh, published before, I don't believe. Well, and, you know, Tom, let's talk about that because, you know, a lot of people are like, well, what are the ancient lost civilizations and, you know, what are the continents and what happened, you know, to Lemuria and who were the, you know, so many people I think are, they don't understand about Atlantis and Lemuria. So let's act like right. our listeners know absolutely nothing and just sure. if you would be kind enough to just share just from a, the basics and then, you know, what your experience has been like and et cetera. So wherever you want okay. to go with it. Uh, let's okay. go, well, let's go all the way back to 10 million years ago. 10 million years ago, the creator of this universe said, uh, uh, had wanted to do what he called the Earth Experiment, and that was to have a race of people that would be able uh, to, uh, to live on a planet where they were veiled from knowing their true selves, their true um, uh, soul a- aspects, uh, and how great their souls really are, how powerful. And, and he wanted them veiled, and he wanted uh, the people to live with negativity, uh, to be able to see if, uh, because no other of those billions of universes had been able to live with negativity. And, and so he wanted to do this experiment. And so he sent his, uh, and I'm using he, but it's he, she, whatever you wish to term. The creator sent its emissaries to these planets and said, we want you to help in creating these bodies and all. And I, I, Antura told me, he said, now, you, uh, you know, if the creator's emissaries come to you and ask you uh, for assistance, you can turn them down. But no one ever does. Okay. So all these planets got together, and they were good at making different kinds of bodies, creating all sorts of beings and everything. They had the knowledge, but they didn't have practical knowledge. So they had to go through, uh, you know, several million years of, of, of trial and effort in order to come up eventually with what we call the Adam and Eve uh, being. They went through things like the uh, uh, the Lucy and Littlefoot beings that have been found in Africa, um, uh, which didn't have very much brains, but uh, and they but they were all insult. We were all insulting these beings, even though they were not humans. Okay, not complete humans. And eventually, along came the Neanderthals. There were about four million of those at one time. Um, uh, the scientists have not, not yet figured out, uh, I've been told, that, uh, that they were cannibalistic, and that's why their numbers never got too high because anybody got a little old, well, you know, uh, eat them for dinner. And, um, uh, and, then, and they had about 70% of our brain power, so they were very clever. They had all sorts of tools that, that um, uh, archaeologists are starting to find, and uh, uh, so they, and but they were massive brutes. You know, they were they were big guys. And, um, and and then next came the Cro-Magnons. And and as these as they tested out these body types, uh, they would benevolently the ETs would benevolently fix it where they would not continue to appropriate uh, appropriate appropriate whatever that word is. Uh, uh, have kids. Appropriate? <laughs> appropriate? Yes. Appropriate. Uh, well, okay, yeah, appropriate. Okay. Okay. 
to have children. We, we, okay. Yes, and procreate. There's something yes. wrong okay. there. <laughs> okay. And um, and so uh, uh, they they stopped uh, the Neanderthals from having any more children, and then uh, the Cro-Magnons had 100% of our brain capacity, but they still were tweaking the body. And so if you look at at uh, skulls of the Cro-Magnons, they had square eye sockets. Now, for some reason, I've never asked this question, but it, it seemed quite apparent to me that that for battles and fighting and things like that, a square eye socket was was very uh, damaging, you know, in a fight. Somebody could, could you know, crack the eye socket pretty easily. And uh, so they, they rounded the eye sockets and changed the, uh, the uh, innards or the interior of our bodies. And eventually, 60,000 years ago, the Adam and Eve bodies were created, and they were seated on each one of the continents. Now, the way they created the bodies, the ETs, they could make a body in 2.5 minutes. And when they were put on the ground, they, they were uh, completely nude, uh, which is why you, you get sort of the Adam and Eve story uh, that <laughs> changed over thousands of years. They were completely nude. They knew who they were and where they came from, and they immediately had to start uh, finding ways, finding food, Finding clothing, you know, uh, whatever, in order to live, and but within two or three generations, uh, their grandkids or their great 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 grandkids lost the knowledge of where they came from, and uh, it, it just, you know, because it didn't, it didn't have anything to do with them. Their lives were meant, you know, to uh, to learn to live. So Atlantis and Lemuria were two continents. One continent uh, was actually located in the Atlantic. It was um, it was the size of uh, uh, of Cuba, and well, let's see, larger than that. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, the Atlantean continent was quite large, and um, uh, it was spread out all over the Atlantic. Um, before it had a natural disaster and broke apart. This was due to a line of volcanoes bisecting the continent of Atlantis in the middle of the mid-Atlantic ridge. That's where the plates came together. And so there were these giant volcanoes, and they all blew up at once. And most of the continent sank 31,000 years ago, uh, killing millions of people, not only on the continent of Atlantis, but all over the world because the seas rose 160 feet. Okay? And and so it drowned every single village, town, and what have you, um, all, all over the world. Every single continent was affected, India and North America and you could, uh, Asia, and you could go on and on and on. So 160 feet. When that happened, it left only a few uh, islands that did not sink. One was called Posadia, and that was that was the size of Cuba, but it was in a round shape. It was located, if you were to draw a line a little north of of Boston, straight out into the Atlantic. That's where Posadia was located, and 375 miles to the south, straight out from a line from Washington D.C was the island of Aaron, which was about the size of Hispaniola and five other smaller islands. So that's where they were located. When, when the, uh, the continent went under the water, um, it also, um, the Bahamas were part of a, a tail that extended all the way down just past the uh, end of, of uh, Florida, and that included the Bahamas. So that's why you see a road an ancient road under the water of the Bahamas because um, it was there before uh, the thirty the thirty one thousand year period. Okay. Now. Got it. Let's wow. let's jump. Okay. Um, I'll come back and we can talk more about Atlantis in general. 
But then uh, 12,500 years ago, uh, another uh, huge event happened, and that was that finished off Poseidia and Aaron because they went to war against each, each other with laser-type devices. Keep in mind, uh, uh, Atlantis was, set, uh, was settled 60,000 years ago. So we only have, uh, we only have records dating back five or 6,000. Uh, so you can imagine how long they were around and how sophisticated they had gotten with aircraft and trains and yada, yada everything, you know, right. mostly of what we have today. And they had all this free energy from the crystals. So they, uh, the Aaron people got tired of being in a war with the Poseidians, and so they, they did a World War, uh, 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 a Pearl Harbor-type attack and um, uh, with 325 aircraft, and they flew that 375 miles up to Poseidia and used the lasers to melt the ground the people literally stood on, and and they thought they were they were going to be able to kill everybody. They killed a million and a half people the first day, uh, but they didn't know about some of the air bases that were hidden, and so the Poseidians went back and they attacked Aaron, and uh, so between between the two forces attacking. Eventually, uh, those islands sank, and when they sank, the waters of the world rose 41 feet, and that's where you get the story of Noah, because it actually happened, except it happened 12,500 years ago, and and not like two or 3,000, as, as some people uh, erroneously believe, okay? This is so, fascinating. I mean, but, but you okay, know, when so you that, think about, um, <laughs> no, never mind. I'm, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to listen. Keep going. <laughs> oh, okay. If you would, please. Uh, uh, and I don't mean to. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt you. Um, uh, so uh, I'm trying to give the basics to everybody. Uh, 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 the story of Noah actually was real. It actually happened. He was told by God uh, to build that ark, and when the the oceans rose 41 feet. From those islands sinking, it actually picked up his boat. Now, what was embellished later was the fact that he actually only had domesticated animals on board the ark. Um, later, you know, several thousand years down the way, they were saying, well, now, wait a minute. The, the world was supposed to be completely covered with water. So, uh, he, you know, here was all these wild animals that are still alive. So, obviously, um, he must have put the wild animals on board the ark. So they added them on the ark. Then the other thing that actually happened was that, uh, you know, the oceans didn't cover the whole world, uh, and he actually landed on the lower slopes of Mount Ariat, and and later uh, one of his sons would marry a girl. And people kind of say, well, where did this girl come from? And she came from a family that lived above the 41-foot line. Okay, that was not affected, and that's where where he uh, got his wife. Interesting. Okay, my son's so, name is Noah. Now we jump over. <laughs> for, <laughs> do what? My son's name is Noah, and you know it was just like this miracle child. You know, I so one of our oh, okay. I hear the story of Noah, and this is like a new story of Noah. And I, um, but you know, to have that faith, to have that faith to build that ship. Before anything sure. had happened, and just you know that that knowing and that listening and trusting, you know, yeah, it's um, and, it's and, just and you know, all the all the people in that area were saying crazy Noah, and, and I'm sure they <laughs> I'm were sure. until uh, until the the sea started rising 41 feet and and uh, lifted up his boat. But that's you know that's the way it goes. Um, right. So I'm going to jump over to where Lemuria was located because a lot of people don't don't kind of know as much about Lemuria as they do or uh, about Atlantis because um actually Edgar Casey didn't didn't dwell on Lemuria as much as I think he did on Atlantis. And so uh, Lemuria was located in the Pacific. Now understand uh Atlantis was about 10% larger than Australia is today. That's what I was trying to remember to say earlier. But uh, Lemuria was about 12% larger, 
uh, uh, larger. And it was actually connected until, until that 160-foot rise in the oceans. It was connected to Japan, okay? But when, but when the oceans rose, it, it was no longer connected. And it, was, uh, and it extended to the east within 100 miles of Hawaii. And what's the interesting thing is that for several thousand years, the Lemurians would vacation on Hawaii because it, there was a lot more land at that time because I'll explain <laughs> how much the waters rose when Lemuria sank. Um, and so that's why I'm sure there's this feeling, a Lemurian feeling when you go to Hawaii because of the imprint of that energy of those people over thousands of years of vacationing there. Okay. Wow. That and just, so it's uh, like a whole different, the whole, I mean, and it makes sense. You know, I, I mean, okay, so I had no idea. But, you know, the, the, the Japan is so small when you think about it, you know, like they just don't mm-hmm. have the land. And this just makes sense that that was larger at some point. It always has felt larger to me. Well, yeah, but, you know, this was a whole continent. It's just that it was connected. Now, the Lemurians had a much easier time. Uh, they, they were like a very benevolent society, uh, uh, you know, very uh, like a utopian society for thousands of years. And I was told that they only started uh, going after each other's throats uh, in the last thousand years of their existence. So Lemuria was this very gentle place, and and I was told that I had uh, uh, about 100 and I think it was 187 lives on Atlantis, but I only had 65 on Lemuria. And I said, why only 65 lives there? Well, it was because everything was so gentle, you didn't need as many lives there as you did on Atlantis. So we get to their last thousand years, and there were five countries inhabiting the continent of Lemuria. It was called Mu, okay? Uh, it was the Lemurians, like la, the French word la, which is the Murians, Lemurians. And it was the continent of Mu. And so uh, Mu, the, the, these countries were divided by rivers and mountains, just like Europe is today, okay? Um, so there were five countries divided, and they started getting at each other's throats, and it got so bad. And, and I, the way I started asking about Lemuria, I, one day I said, I said, uh, uh, Gaia or Theo, whoever it was, I, I said, have I ever had a, a, a life on Lemuria? And it was, ah, Tom. And when, when they go like that to me, they're about to tell me something very important, okay? Ah, Tom, uh, yes, uh, you did. You helped sink the continent of Lemuria, or Mu. And it turned out, you, you have to understand, my, my sole interest are religions. So I've been around for the start of every major and probably minor religion on earth uh, uh, during all my lives. And so I was this priest or something or some kind of religious leader in one of the um, one of the countries, and I encouraged the leaders of my country to drop this big hydrogen-type bomb on uh, a, a couple of other countries that we were at war with, thinking that they didn't have any way to respond. Well, lo and behold, they did. And so uh, you started having these huge hydrogen-type bombs go off, much, much larger than anything we've seen today. And uh, it broke the continent up. And luckily, there were a number of people that saw this coming. They started migrating to the Philippines and Japan and and uh, Asia, uh, China, and and so a number of people got out by, before that happened. Now, when it did happen, the the oceans of the world. Okay, I'm sorry. The oceans of the world rose another 170 feet and wiped out everybody again. Okay. It's like so a giant tsunami of, 
uh, like more than we could ever envision. I mean, just huge. Yes, because millions of people died again. Now, uh, and, and of course, it, uh, I was told it took me 80, I think it was 82 lives in order to balance that one life. So it took me quite a while to, to balance those lives. Um, uh, backing up, though, to Atlantis, because that was that was one of the first things I asked about. I, you know, I, I had asked, had, have I ever had any uh, lives on Atlantis? Ah, oh, Tom, yes, you have. Um, you, uh, uh, and, and it came about uh, in me asking um, how far back the gentle way uh, went, because I knew it went back 350 years to my life as that Indian shaman, and I was thinking, well, maybe it goes back a 1,000 years or something. And so one day I finally asked, and I was told, uh, Tom, it goes uh, back to 200 years before the the Atlanteans destroyed themselves. You were inspired to create the gentle way, and you had a million people, mostly on Posadia, that were requesting benevolent outcomes in their lives. But you saw that the end was coming one way or another, and 200 years before uh, before it, it they finally destroyed themselves, you immigrated uh, from Posadia through Europe to Egypt with 25,000 of your followers. Okay? And I became one of, of the first doctor-type priest because I brought these healing instruments with me, and I used them on the Egyptian people as well as on the Atlantean people. Now, this is where stories start to cross, because if you've ever read any of the Edgar Casey material, he was, uh, he was an exiled priest. Um, I think his name was Rata. And he had been exiled, but he was brought back to Egypt to deal with the Atlanteans because they were being flooded with these Atlanteans. And, and I met with him and assured him that we were gentle people, and there was also an Egyptian priest, priestess that helped us because in her meditations she was told the same thing, and that that Egyptian priest, a priestess is my wife today. So we've <laughs> bumped into each other quite a few times, and, and actually her, in her next life she's going to be a male leader uh, back in ancient Egypt um, shortly after we both pass from the scene. So she will come back to be, a, uh, it's called a significant life, um, and she'll have a significant life in ancient Egypt as a leader of her people. So you actually are seeing into the future lives too. Yes. I, I know that my next life will be back on Namo, this water world planet, as an amphibian. And... Um, and I'll be. I seem to incarnate every time I incarnate there. Is it's as some sort of spiritual leader of some type, and and I'll do that life. And then after that, my next Earth life will be in thirty in thirty four hundred, and that I'll be a female uh, uh, pilot of one of the Earth starships, and uh, my. My wife in this life will also be a, a pilot, a female pilot at that time, and uh, I've been told that uh, I've been told that a, a French buddy of mine that uh, he and I have worked together, known each other for over 25 years, and and skied together and all. Uh, uh, and Tura told me that that I was uh, uh, he was going to be my lover in that life, and I said that's a little bit. Too much information. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, let's just keep it with the spiritual part. (laughs) But, you know, I I went to Egypt in 2008 with um, sound healers from all over the world, and I will never forget this one uh, ancient ruin. I mean, there were so many, and each one just had its, you know, own intelligence and, and gifts but this but this one particular ruin it was way at the back and you kind of had to know it where it was one of the guides took me back there mm-hmm. and you looked up and you saw i mean it was a very high high ceiling back 
you know, as I said, you, you had to know it was there pretty much. And the hieroglyphs were uh, submarines, helicopters, you know, they, you know, because they were saying that the beings came in so many different ways. Like, you know, this was yeah. way, way beyond, you know, like we think that we created the submarines and the helicopters and all these different ways of transportation. And this is, this is ancient knowledge. And then, you know, you, the, the, the ruin with, um, where they had a lot of the different medical instruments. I mean, that's where the the pacifiers that are in the shape of, you know, the orthodontic ones that are made out of clay. I mean, you, and you saw forceps, and you saw all these medical instruments, you know, that are still in operating rooms today. So right. Fast. And, and and also things like uh, I, I was told that I had some sort of healing bowl, and and I would do something to a chance or whatever, and and this bowl would. Uh, in some form or fashion would help heal people and I was told that that bowl still exists but no one knows what it was used for it's it's in somebody's uh, collection in Egypt or somewhere I mean some of the um, the sound healing chambers there that are still there today I mean it's just it's just unbelievable and that was my first experience with tuning forks um, using them and you know I'm trained in about five different types of sound healing now but you know back back then I was just starting to use the crystal bowls and um, I, it's just it's fascinating isn't it just I mean you know to me Lemuria is where a lot of the crystals you know came from and you mentioned that you know where the lasers mm-hmm. you know I mean people think that lasers are new they're not new no no long long time now, one thing, uh, I had a chapter uh, uh, in the book where I went in, and I've actually even asked more questions since then, because um, uh, the, when the, uh, the continent sank of Atlantis, they needed to replace a lot of these crystals. Now, these were huge crystals. They had like 20, 25 feet tall. So um, they, had, they knew already that uh, uh, Arkansas had this huge crystal field and so they started having miners that would would dig for these crystals and and uh, uh, you know these mines uh, the the largest the village ever got that would work these mines uh, you know with the the miners and their families was 500 that was the largest it ever got Um, but it was uh, uh, you know, just uh, uh, something that, gosh, sorry, I lost my, my train of thought. I was looking at something else. Well, how did how did Arkansas, because I have done crystal mining in Arkansas. Oh, there we go. I have, yeah, but how what how did all that come to be? I mean, there are there is still a lake near where I did the crystal mining. Um, we went to th- two or three different spots, but but there's a there's a, a a lake that most people don't even know about. That supposedly there are still crystals at the bottom of that lake. You know, you're not digging mm-hmm. in the red mud to get them. I mean, it's just fascinating. I mean, how did that come to be? Well, I mean, they've always kind of been there. If you uh, when I was up. In, in Arkansas, I, I went to speak to a, a group uh, that was having a conference uh, in Mount Ida, Arkansas, and they're right in the middle of that crystal field that's like 50 miles long, or it's huge. And, I know. And I've even I've I've dug, dug for crystals up in Arkansas and have really gotten some fairly large ones for just being a, a, an average digger. Because the really large ones, the the mines try and keep themselves to sell to banks or, you know, for a lobby of of some building or whatever, and and really make big money. But uh, I, I've got three crystals that I call Papa Bear, uh, Mama Bear, and Baby Bear, and they're pretty large. And then I have a, a, a huge block of granite that is just absolutely inlaid with crystals, and uh, and and then we, you know. Uh, uh, dug up just tons of smaller stuff. So uh, digging for crystals in Arkansas is really fun, I think. Oh, it's it's just amazing. So so talking about these ancient civilizations and you know then all of a sudden they're gone. They're just they're just gone. Mm-hmm. But but their yeah. but their energy <laughs> is still here. So let's talk about the why um, why you well 
this is my question. I feel that many people are being drawn to these, um, the wisdom of these ancient, like rediscovering the knowledge from those times. Yes. And why do you, and, and why do you but, feel, yeah, I mean, your guides took you there. You know, I mean, you have mm-hmm. channeled a whole book on this. So what do you think is happening right now on planet Earth that, you know, and beyond planet Earth, you know, let's be honest. You know, okay. That, that, I, mean, <laughs> well, I think you okay, know what I'm asking all, here. <laughs> Right. I was told, uh, uh, why why was I kind of chosen to do this book? And I was told, you know, because you've had more lives on both continents combined than any other human living on Earth today. Okay, that was the first reason. The second reason is that um, we're, uh, we've been afraid to rediscover some of these energies. There's an energy, the energy that the Lemurians used, it was a free energy also, uh, is a different energy than the crystal energy, and they couldn't even kind of describe it because I'm I'm no scientist. All right, I, my background is business, <laughs> and and so I, they typically have to dumb down their their answers to me about anything uh, scientifically uh, related. And and on Atlantis, everyone is so fearful of using this crystal power again on a subconscious level because they, you know, they drowned when these these uh, people warred with each other, that they are scared to do it. And I was told that since we've passed that harmonic convergence in August of 1987, we will never destroy ourselves again. We will never have another world war. And we will rediscover these energies and be able to use them with no fear of them being misused. Well, you know, when you think about the crystals, you know, this is this is present time with John of God in Brazil, okay? And, you know, he has mm-hmm. all of these crystals. But even before that, Marcel Vogel, who was a scientist um, who started discovering how to cut crystals in a certain way and the healing healing power, I mean, these are scientists, you know, and, and healing's happening. You know, Wayne Dyer attributes the fact that, you know, after he was diagnosed with acute leukemia and told, you know, just that's it. Go say goodbye to your mom, get your affairs in order, and next thing you know, he's down mm-hmm. with John of God uh, in Brazil and using these crystals and using all of the healing energies that he offers. It's like, you know, and this is this is today, you know. <laughs> This is 2017, and people are just we're we're rediscovering all this. Yes, but it's it's an awfully small portion, although it's it's growing. Um, mm. You still have so many people that you know, will only go see a, a regular doctor. They won't consider any alternative treatments. Um, you know, I, I can give you stories on that, but it's it it would take too long. So it's it's something that that we can we can know that we're headed in the right direction, and it may take us. We will not make it to the stars. We will not figure out how to portal hop, as it's called, until 3250. All right, and and everybody thinks it's going to be 2200 or 2400. You know, like they have in the Star Wars or Star Trek stuff, and it's not going to be that fast. It's going to be much slower. Uh, just getting to Mars is going to be another 20 or 30 years. And, and I've been told that when we get to Mars, finally somebody will, will be exploring, and they're going to find uh, caves. And instead of, of setting up all, uh, all their, their little villages or whatever, that as people start to colonize Mars, they're going to set them up in these caves that are going to be out of the harsh existence of the surface, and that's where they're uh, that's where they're going to live. Wow. So, Tom, be, I, we're, we're, I, we have a little more time. I, uh, please let our listeners know how to um, find your books. Number one, your website, and then your mm-hmm. weekly um, newsletter. Uh, just tell us all all the things, ways we can reconnect with you. If you have a Facebook presence, et cetera. Sure. Okay. First of all, my website is www.thegentlewaybook.com. Now, on the very first page, if you want to sign up for my weekly newsletter, there's a little box there, and just click on on the link, and you can sign up for the newsletter. Um, 
I'm uh, my books. You can read sample chapters of my books uh, on the website. You can uh, you can read all of my newsletters are archived on on my website all the way back to 2007, 52 weeks a year, and uh, so there's a lot of a lot of information and and typically my newsletters are like 12 pages long, so it's a lot of wow. information. Um, the uh, uh, the uh, you can also you can buy my books um, uh, on Amazon or any of the uh, e-books or or you know regular book dealers. Um, uh, I, I have lots of five-star reviews for all my books, and uh, so uh, you can find those on Amazon. Um, I, I have a on Facebook. You can look for me at Tom T Moore Author, and you can like me and. I'm always posting on on my author page. Um, Twitter, I'm Tom T. Moore 33. <laughs> I don't do a huge amount of, of, of tweets, but uh, maybe in the future I will. Um, but one of the one of the things I know is coming up is is I've been told by Antura that my family and I are are supposed to be the uh, the first ones to ever shoot a documentary on board. Their mothership, which coming, which is coming here around the first part of October of this year, and it's three miles wide and has a crew of 900 plus their families because the, there's uh, uh, some of the crew lives on there full time, and so it totals up about 1,500 uh, people from 37 different planets, and in, includes plant beings, insect beings, reptilians. Of course, he's an amphibian, rock beings, um, uh, <laughs> bird beings, you wow. name it. There are going to be a lot of a lot of different beings on board that. that uh, we need help ship. right now. We need help on planet Earth. And, you know, when you have this much, I mean, to think of a mothership with that much intelligence on it, is that not pretty amazing? But they're amazing? not going to give it to us. <laughs> they're going to introduce themselves. They don't mind talking about our history and everything. But as far as scientific uh, things and like that, uh, uh, they uh, there's the what's called the Earth Directive, and they will not be allowed to help us in developing. We have to do everything ourselves, and that's why it's going to take to 3250 in order to figure out how to portal hop, because that's how they go across the universe. He said, Antura told me, he said, Tom, a, a portal hopping, it's like a, a Southwest Airlines plane flying from Florida uh, stopping a, uh, on a couple of three different places across the country and to California. And when I expressed surprise at him using that that simile, uh, he said that um, he said, "Oh, Tom," he said, "We know everything about you." And so uh, that's how they they have to do it. They cannot go all the way across the universe in one hop. They have to to stop and and immediately start up again just interesting how they can be there with their consciousness and we can tune into them but they're not going to interfere with our destiny that's still up to us yep sink or swim but oh. we're going to swim <laughs> oh my gosh okay we're we just okay last thing anything else you want to share with us are you still taking we have 90 seconds Do, are you taking uh, people on trips anymore or is that that's like complete no no that's uh, uh, I haven't done that uh, uh some people say, "Oh gosh, you know, there's people that advertise in the in metaphysical magazines to take people on trips," and, and I just haven't haven't done that. And I think I'm going to be so busy uh, after this year, you know, in doing the documentary and selling it to uh, somebody to put up on screens across the United States. And there's going to be a series of them, I've been told. Um, yeah. Just isn't going to happen. You've got but a lot I'd of work. To, you have you know, a lot. I'd, Right. I, I'd love to go to some expos and meet people and, and do talks and speaking. That would be fun. I'm, I've got yeah. – Okay, yeah. so this is Tom Moore, and thegentlewaybook.com is his website. And thank you – I just – thank you. I mean, this this I knew this would go by so quickly. So um, – just please stay in touch with Spirit Seeker. Continue to submit your articles and let us know about your new books and sure. all of your work, and we will help in any way we can. Great. 
Thank you. Okay. All and, right. And, so thank. And a benevolent, a benevolent week to everybody out there. Bye. Oh, beautiful. Okay, thank you so much, Tom. Okay, have a fabulous 2017, and good night, everyone. We'll be back on the air next week. Have a great week. Thanks so much. Namaste.